beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Role Models, Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement and your host. This podcast thrives on your support. So if you like what you hear, follow us, rate us, review us, share this episode with everyone you know across all of your networks. There are a lot of misconceptions about disability. And my next guest is here to tell her story and bust a ton of myths. The incomparable Lolo Spencer is a film independent Spirit Award nominated actress, a model, a public speaker, and a social media content creator. She currently stars as Jocelyn in HBO Max's Sex Lives of College Girls, executive produced by Mindy Kaling, and she has a YouTube channel where she showcases the many vantage points of what her life experiences are as a person with a disability. While in high school, Lola received a diagnosis of ALS, more on that later, but despite using a wheelchair for her mobility, she is not about the pity party and is all about sitting pretty. This is a fearless gal who lives her life, does it with vibrant sass and style, and shares a ton of inspiration with others. Welcome, Lolo. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing intro. <laughs> I'm like, can I steal that to use it in other places? <laughs> well deserved, I might add. Well deserved. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation. Yeah, and OMG, the glow up that you have had over the last few years, you've got to tell us all about your origin story. Yes, you know, I was born in Stockton, California. <laughs> Right, that's the uh, initial origin. My existence um, starts in a town, Stockton, California. That's where I was born and raised. And, you know, I was really blessed to have like an amazing group of family and friends and life was always good for me. Honestly, like I have no complaints. You know, we were definitely the family that... <laughs> probably was living in a level of poverty, but never knew it just because we had so much fun and joy and laughter in our home, you know, and you don't realize it maybe until you're like a teenager and you're like, wait a minute, why are we eating the same thing for two weeks straight? <laughs> like, You know, those kind of things. But my family is full of love. You know, I have a younger brother and an older sister, mom, stepdad, and we just had a good time growing up. Oh, that is amazing. Amazing. So now when you were 14, you started to feel a bit of fatigue and a little bit of hardship with moving. Can you tell us about how that was? And you were in high school, right? Yeah. So I was freshman in high school. Well, I really started to feel some slight differences more towards the end of my eighth grade year. God, it was so long ago. Uh, but towards the end of my eighth grade year because you know I used to like play street hockey that was one of the activities at our school and like dodgeball and tetherball and all these things so I was pretty active I wouldn't call myself an athlete it was just one of the things well all the homies are playing over here so let me go play with them too kind of thing and then I started noticing the fatigue so as we started going into high school I started to feel it more because I was like walking around campus all on my own this time. And obviously a high school campus is much larger than a middle school campus. And that's when I started noticing that. And then it was one night, the memory that sticks out the most is one night I was, well, making my plate for dinner, which was 
one of the things my mom was always like, yeah, I'll make y'all own plates. So go in the kitchen and I reached up in the cabinet for a plate and my whole arm dropped to the counter, but I didn't drop the plate. So I was kind of confused because I was like, I felt my whole, like, like my whole body just like went this way. And I was like, but I didn't drop the plate. Like what just happened? Like I was like really kind of confused. And up until recently, when I was working on my book, I had to, you know, refer to my mom for a lot of my memories during that time. Cause I was a teenager. I, my brain was all over the place. And she said that one day I came to her and I said, mom, I can't jump as high as I used to. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that kind of triggered her to be like, okay, well, let's start going to these doctor's offices. And then from there, we went on a journey for at least a year, maybe a little over a year of going doctor to doctor, this specialist, that specialist, even to the point where it started to feel abnormal. Cause I was like, why are we seeing another doctor? Like a part of me was like, I'm not tripping because I don't have to go to class today. <laughs> but the other part of me started to feel like, okay, well, what, what are we doing now, mom? Like, okay. But again, not being able to go to class reigned more important to me at that time. So I was like, cool, we're going to have, oh, and I get to eat off campus. Even it's, a it's a thing. Another doctor's office, for sure, mom, glad to come with you. And then we finally landed at UCSF ALS Center. And then that's when I got my diagnosis. My mom was the one who told me at home. From there, it just kind of been a journey ever since. Mm. What was your reaction when you did get that diagnosis? To be honest, I didn't have really a reaction only because I was the only person. And even then the word and term disability wasn't even used in the conversation. So I didn't know anybody with a disability. There was nobody in my family with a disability. Mm-hmm. They, you know, so when my mom was telling me that it's a condition where your muscles will weaken over time and all this other stuff, I was kind of like, okay. Like it didn't even trigger to me, like the severity, the condition that doctors were trying to say that I had at that time. Wow. And, and I really just attributed to being a teenager and be like, I don't care what you're talking about, mom. I'm trying to go back and watch 106 and Park. You're going to make me miss what the number one video is this week. What is this conversation? I'm not comprehending at all. And yeah, so that was really my reaction. I wanted to go back and watch TV because I was like, ah, okay, cool, mom. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. And so did you find that over the course of years, your muscles started to weaken a little bit? At what point did you find that you needed to have some assistance with walking and whatnot? So it was still freshman year of high school, right? Because I had noticed like my legs were getting tired and all these different symptoms. And so then that's when it was recommended for me to use AFOs to help lift my feet so I didn't trip over it. And then we started making certain accommodations. 
Yeah, for they, those who don't know, AFOs are like these orthopedic booties. They're like boots. My son actually has, he's, he's growing. And so we have stacks and stacks of AFOs because he's been growing. But yeah, they are these supportive boots that you kind of strap on and help your ankles stay in a specific position. And they're helpful for walking. Yes, exactly. And at the time, I didn't know that's what they were called. So I just called them my poor skunk legs. Like, cause that was the only reference I had, right? Is to, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm out here like Forrest Gump, like for sure. Like, who cares? But yeah. And so that's when I started using AFOs and then certain accommodations at my high school were made, thankfully, because my guidance counselor was incredibly supportive. Shout out to Mr. Bradbury. He was incredibly, incredibly supportive because again, with this whole conversation, my mom, none of us knowing what any of this means, never going through this process, you know, my guidance counselor, he was just like, okay, so would you want Lauren to start going to the classes with other students with disabilities and everything else? And they would ask me and I was like, no, I want to be where my friends are at. You know, again, being 14, not really having the understanding of why the classes were even separated to begin with or anything like that, you know, I think I probably would have made a a different decision had I known, right? But I was like, no, I want to be with where all my friends are at. I don't want to be separated. And so my guidance counselor, we found solutions. He was like, okay, well then Lauren, we're going to allow you to show up to your classes, you know, an extra 10 minutes late because we know it's going to take you a little longer. We'll assign one of your friends to walk you arm in arm to class. Mm -hmm. And so those were kind of some of the accommodations that were made. Now, of course, because I was 14, that little 10 minute leeway, I might've taken a little (laughs) bit more time to eat at lunch and then made it to fifth period when I made it to fifth period. But it was one of those things, right? Where it was those accommodations were made. The support was there. The school nurse would give me a ride home because Mm -hmm. I couldn't drive. We didn't know what that would take to drive. So I was like, I don't want to drive. So those kind of accommodations were made at that time. Amazing. And it sounds like with your family and with everybody at school, like this was not a doom and gloom sentence. Seemed like, like, okay, this is what's going on. This is how we're going to deal with it. And we're going to give you the support that you need when possible to be able to assist you so that you can continue living your life in the most productive way. Exactly. And honestly, it's because of that foundation that I feel like has been able to attribute to my success as an adult when I did end up leaving the house and moving away from my hometown. Like that training, that foundation, that advocacy that I knew when I went to college, what to ask for, what my needs were, and to not budge until I got it. Yeah, I think that you said that like your mom was a little nervous about you moving away from home, but you were like, no, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live and I'm going to do this, right? And you moved 100%. And granted, for good reason, my mom had to be nervous, right? Because I was only 19 at the time. And up until that point, I had always lived at home with my mom. My mom was the one who took care of me. You know, it was down to the point where I was like, oh, I'm actually going to have to go to a nail salon to keep my nails together because my mom always did my nails for me. Uh, so it was like- and Was she a single mom at this point or did was she remarried? 
Well, she wasn't necessarily remarried, but my brother's father was there. And so there was always that support. But my mom, my mom is one of those. She is a mom's mom. Like she is a mama bear. Don't you mess with her cubs. (laughs) Don't you come close to trying to mess with her cubs. She does not put to this day. And all three of us are incredible. Like my brother's 28. We are grown, grown. But my mom, if we're like, yo, mom, we need help with this. Mom, something happened that she is full throttle. Yeah, you guys are so independent. And so it didn't really develop in an unhealthy codependency. It seems like even despite her being there for you, she lets you live your life. Yeah, exactly. And I think a big part of it, you know, especially for me is because she saw that desire in me. She Um, knew I wanted it. She knew. So she was like, okay, I I can't keep her under the roof much longer. Otherwise, she's probably going to start rebelling. And I was at that point where I was going to be like, mama, (laughs) gonna help me or I'm going to find a way to help myself. So, you know, we had that discussion and my mom is one of those people too. Like she would love to support you, but you have to make it make sense to her. So I had to prove to her that I was serious about it. So every day when she would come home from work, I would have printouts of all these different apartments that I already pre-called and figured this out and that out. How close was it to this? How close was it to that? And all those different things and showed her, look, mom, here are all the places that I can live. Here are all the schools that I can transfer to. Like, I'm serious about this. And so we came up with the plan and made it happen. Yeah. And for you, it's always been about your ability, not about your disability. And you've even started putting yourself out there on videos on YouTube. You have your channel, which is Lolo Sitting Pretty. Can you tell us what inspired you to all of a sudden start creating this content that would help to inspire other people? Truthfully, I started the channel because I was working a job. The boss at that time, we ended up having this meeting one-on-one and it was Giving the energy of like, Lauren, if you don't change how you work, you're not going to be here much longer. Mm -hmm. And I was so pissed because I was like, I was doing my job. I was meeting my deadlines, but because I wasn't doing it the way they wanted me to do it, all of a sudden you're going to take away my income, my independence, my health benefits. You are threatening me in a way that I don't even think you recognize how much of a threat that is for someone in my position. And so I was like, I don't ever want this to happen to me again. And I didn't get fired, but it was just the threat alone Mm -hmm. made me be like, I'm not about to have this happen to me again. So me and my mom talked about it and was like, well, what can I do to start taking advantage of my own life? and my own livelihood. And then I was like, well, I have a degree in video production. I heard that people are making crazy money off of YouTube. Maybe I should start a YouTube channel. And then it was like, well, what am I going to talk about? And I was like, well, maybe I'll just talk about living life as a wheelchair user. Again, the word disability didn't even cross my vocabulary at this time. And I'm a grown ass woman. And so maybe I'll talk about being in a wheelchair. Everyone is so amazed by how I live positively and go out and do this. Maybe I could start showing people that this is how you do it. 
and this is what it looks like and that it's possible. And so that's kind of where all of the content started. Amazing. I remember back when I was going to Georgetown in my MBA class, there was an entrepreneur class and we had to break up into groups. And one of my group members was in a wheelchair and she had to get around all these hills, all these things in her scooter. But I remember her vividly because she was saying like when she'd get to class back then, you know, East Coast, it was always raining and mm-hmm. she would get wet. And so we thought our group project for entrepreneurship was, can we come up with the concepts for wheelchair users that would help them in their comfort. So it would be things like, you know, these umbrellas that would attach. And back then there really wasn't that much stuff. And so we thought it was pretty innovative. When we presented it, the people who were actually entrepreneurs and were actually going to be funding some of the projects were like, yeah, that's a really cute idea. Good luck with that. It was really very patronizing. Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted the ones that were like, oh, there's a billion dollar industry and there's going to be all of this, you know, payback when you guys get, there was no opportunity seen, no market opportunity seen for people in wheelchairs. And so it just shows you that in terms of just like business, and it was an unspoken about area that almost was a little bit like, oh, I'm so, you know, yeah, nice idea. But, and now it's like, the times have changed. It's so great to be able to see people advocating for their needs and for companies to finally be innovating. I mean, I know that you work with a lot of them, which is so cool. Yeah. Doing some really cool shit. I mean, that's like like the evolution of the wheelchair over the past 25 years to me is like astounding amazing like even for myself like I started using my wheelchair when I was 19 and I moved to LA because I told myself I was like well the first time I used a wheelchair an electric wheelchair was grad night Disneyland as a senior in high school because my nurse told me she was like you're going to exhaust yourself if you stay in these braces trying to walk around Disneyland so I was like okay well what's my solution and so she was like well we could get you an electric wheelchair and I was just like and of course not knowing disability culture at all I'm like oh wheelchair I don't know about that like that's doing too much like that was like the way I internalized it at that time was like now you're really trying to make me look like a person with a disability again not knowing anything about what it means to be disabled my own internalized ableism right Mm -hmm. so then she was like well try it out see how you like it first and then see if you want to do it girl I got in that wheelchair and saw how fast I could go (laughs) how far I could go and I wasn't tired. I said, oh, y'all should have brought this to me sooner. Like, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever, ever, literally ever. And so my whole mind shifted on what it meant to use a wheelchair. And so, so that was the first time I used it. So at 19, when I moved to LA, it ended up becoming my main form of getting around. Mm-hmm. And so from 19 to now I'm 35, you know, the evolution of the wheelchair and learning about the chairs that could like the one that's actually in the background, that's the wheel model F and that one collapses, mm-hmm. but it's still an electric chair. So I still get my independence. It collapses. It's no more than I think 45 or 50 pounds. It's still relatively lightweight. I have friends, they throw it in the backseat of their cars. They put it in the trunk, wherever it is. 
and we can go around now. I don't have to get pushed around. I don't have to worry about all those things. So that wasn't there when I was 19. Because mm-hmm. my God, if it was, the places <laughs> I would have went with my friends, it would have been a whole other level of experience. So exactly what you're saying, that evolution is real. And I think now people are starting to slowly but surely recognize the disabled community as a viable market mm-hmm. to make income because entrepreneurship and business is motivated by the money, no matter how philanthropic yeah. the idea might be, if it's not making money, people aren't going to be interested in it. True, true. And honestly, it is so nice to see the kinds of innovations with my son, for example, you know, he continues to grow. So he's probably had about five or six wheelchairs. The Mm -hmm. wheelchair that he has right now is like a sofa on wheels. It's like, you know, it's got customization because he has a very severe scoliosis curvature in his spine, like 30 degrees. And so Mm -hmm. they had to custom make and custom cut out the foam in his seat, the angles that it goes. It's not electric because because he doesn't have the mobility to be able to maneuver a specific switch or anything like that himself. So we do still push him. And they had to literally, they jerry-rigged it so that they could put bicycle brakes on it because his previous wheelchairs didn't have brakes. And so we'd go like down a hill and I'd be like, ah, you know, it's like, you know, it would be like 200 pounds and me trying to like, you know, hold it back to go down and any amount of incline was frightening. So so it was literally very, very customized. It was really like, to me, the heart and soul that people put into actually creating these to suit individuals and to make sure that they're comfortable is just, it's been really wonderful to see how things have come along. I love that. I love to hear that. And yeah, and it matters, you know, I think the next big innovation for me that I've been, you know, considering and thinking about is now the aesthetic of these chairs, right? Like, let's make them look real good. You know me, I'm a fashion style. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fashion girl. So I'm a one style. I'm a one sass, you know. So we, we're, we're working on that next. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I wanted to point out your shirt, which says F stairs. Yes. And, you know, certainly there are, I have seen these new things that actually will go up and down stairs. They look frightening to me, but I was like, Fair oh fine. my God, that is so cool. But I also live in LA and there is quite a lot of accessibility in LA, except yeah. when it comes to houses. And yes. like, can I tell you when I have been on the home search for me and my son, it brings me to tears. It absolutely brings me to tears because the stairs and the narrow hallways, especially in like the older, like some of the newer homes. Yeah. They've got the doors that are 30, 32 inches wide, but hundreds and hundreds of houses I've had to try to go into and look for. And it's just, nope. I walk in and I walk out. I'm like, nope, 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 yep. nope, nope. Like there, yep. there, it just would not work for him. And it takes such a long time to find something that is just right, even with the amount of stuff that's around. It's, And so, you know, I'm just like, for me and my advocacy, it's like whatever these home builders can do. Because, you know, obviously the ADA is in place for public places and for yeah. commercial buildings and things like that and apartment buildings. But when it comes to homes, it's like, God, do something about this, you know? I'm so glad you said that because that's always been one of the challenges living in LA independently is finding apartments that are accessible or housing that's accessible because even though the ADA exists for, like you said, commercials and apartments and stuff, 
that doesn't mean that these people are following these rules. Yeah. Condos. No, you know, the older condos, no, still apartments. Like I was, it takes forever when I need to move to find something that's accessible because there's certain levels of accessibility, right? Like it may be accessible, like you could get in the building, mm-hmm. but that's the only entrance and exit, right? So like in the yeah. of an emergency, why is this the only way that I can get in and out? And technically I still can't even get out. Yeah. That, you know, that's they- another thing. Yeah. With LA, because we have so many earthquakes, the power is always going out. Yes. And my son lives on life support. You know, he's got a ventilator that needs to be plugged in. It does have battery life on it, but when the power goes out, it is an emergency. Yeah. And if you're in a place with an elevator, I cannot carry him. He's 16 years old. I cannot carry him down five flights of stairs. I can't even carry him down one flight of stairs. And so to find an apartment that's on a ground level with an emergency exit where I can get him out to a road so that I can get him into a car so that we can plug it in to the, you know, yeah cigarette lighter so that he can breathe that's a big deal (laughs) it's a it's a really big deal and people are not thinking about it enough like they think oh just because there's an elevator but it's like and then what happens when the fire alarm goes off or like the power goes out these are things that happen on a regular basis so I'm just glad that you mentioned it because even for myself like I started thinking about okay home ownership but I'm like am I gonna have to get to a point where I'm waiting until I ha- I'm able to build something from the ground up or I have a lot of money to renovate something and you know all these different things and so it's a lot to think about when it's like most people they just get to go in and out and be like I just don't like the wall so I'm gonna pick a different house and it's just like yeah for you lucky for you ma'am <laughs> yeah I'm just trying to make sure I can get to the fucking bathroom comfortably Yes, yes. And that's another thing too. It's like, if the toilet is right in front of the bathtub, he's got a bath chair and we can't even get his bath chair in there. And so it's like, you know, I look in the bathroom and I'm like, nope, that don't, that won't work either. You know, can't get exactly. his bath chair in there, can't get his bath chair in there. And that ixnays probably 80% of the, of the places that I see, if not for the fact that there's stairs or narrow hallways or the doorways are too small. And you know, what's actually interesting, something that I've been noticing, because I like to every once in a while go to like open houses for like these wild, like multi-million dollar homes, like Beverly Hills. I'm a dreamer. dreamer. So I'm like, let me get in the space. Let me feel it. Let me see the energy of this, right? A majority of the homes that I visited, ironically enough, with unbeknownst to them, maybe the only thing that wasn't accessible was maybe like the entrance, right? Maybe there's like one or two steps or something like that. And I always go with friends. So we make it work, but those homes are majority accessible, Mm. which is interesting because see, the thing is about the rich and technology, right? The way we view accessibility is how they view convenience. So how do Mm. I turn on my shower let me get the shower warmed up while I'm still downstairs (laughs) let me get the remote yep right Mm -hmm. let me get the smart app how do I load the dishwasher oh let me just tap it and it opens up automatically how do I like all of these different things so it's like Y'all aren't even realizing this is all accessibility. Oh, 
Yes. Which then lets me know accessibility isn't the problem. It's the attitude around making it accessible. That's the problem. Or super rich can afford it. Or only the super rich can afford it. Because it's not that you don't know how to make it accessible. Mm-hmm. Y'all know the technology it takes to make it accessible, but it's only accessible to the rich because you guys have thought of it in a way of a privilege of convenience versus a need for accessibility. The only difference between the two is the attitude. Mm-hmm. It's not really the money. Yeah, It's not yeah. really infrastructure. It's literally the attitude. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest things that I noticed when I go to these, these multi-million dollar homes got elevators in them. Yeah. See through ones too. So if you're claustrophobic, you can at least see through the glass and hopefully that lessens the anxiety of it. But it's like, how is there an elevator in this house? But when I went to this apartment building that has 50 units, there's wow. no elevator. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't go to those open houses just on a whim, but I do scroll TikTok and boy, those places in Dubai and Singapore, I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Some of them are like amazing to see all of the different uh, gadgets that people have in their homes over there. Exactly. It's yeah. incredible to witness. It's incredible to witness open floor plans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fucking homes that don't even have doors on them sometimes because they just want to and I'm like, you guys have no idea. Yeah, yeah. This accessibility. Yeah. Now, speaking of accessibility, you have been a model for some really great brands who have been yes. thinking about accessibility and adaptation as well. Can you give a shout out to some of your favorites? Well, I mean, of course, got to give a shout out to Tommy Hilfiger Adaptive. Yay. I mean, they, we love them. Yes, they introduced me to adaptive clothing for sure you know izzy adaptive is another one based out of i think izzy is in canada she's based out of canada designer but she makes adaptive clothing as well her pants were the first adaptive pants that i tried and then i saw that tommy hilfiger had an adaptive vibe and i was like what is this where did this come from so those as far as like fashion have definitely been And for kids, I just want to give a shout out to Target, Kat, and Jack. They have amazing kids adaptive clothing that my son loves. Exactly. Exactly. And so they are definitely like the two that stick out in my head right now as far as like adaptive clothing. And you have an amazing stylist who I have to say, I just love what she puts you in. Give a little bit of love for her. Of course, we always give Stephanie Thomas her flowers. (laughs) Fashion stylist has been for over 25 years. She specializes in dressing people with disabilities. She's come up with her own dressing system that allows people with disabilities to dress themselves with dignity and pride and dependence. She's come up with this system because we know adaptive fashion isn't the norm yet, right? So her system allows you to be able to go to any clothing store and know how to shop for yourself, for your body type, for your needs in a way that allows you to still be stylish, allows you to still dress with the brands that you want to dress with Mm -hmm. and continue to just build your own style from there. So Stephanie Thomas is a living legend. She's incredible. And she's changed my entire 
sense of style on a personal level and professional. Uh, I love that. And I love that she's also very much into sustainability. She'll take you to goodwill. It's not that you have yes. to spend a fortune to find these things. You can find them anywhere. 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 As long as you have the tools, you can find your clothes anywhere. Yeah. Let's talk about your acting. Oh my goodness. You want to give me liberty? I saw the trailer for that recently and I'm like, I was in tears just like yeah. watching that. You were nominated for a an Independent Spirit Film Award, I believe, for that, right? Yes. And yes. now you are also playing Jocelyn on The Sex Lives of College Girls by Mindy Kaling. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, Sex Lives is... <laughs> Time. It is, is juicy. Talk about time. juicy conversations. That is juicy. <laughs> yeah. Sex Lives is a wonderful show. <laughs> but no, it's a great show. It's full of laughs, full of comedy. I just love playing Jocelyn. You know, Mindy and Justin Noble, who's our showrunner, have really, really done a great job at developing a character with a disability where we are only learning about her personality and her humanity. And they take real risks with her character and really just making her the one that the main four girls go to to know where the parties are at. She is their go-to person for anything, like advice, you know, how to talk to the guys or whatever it is that they're trying to find out. (laughs) Yeah, or the ladies, like, Jocelyn is their go-to girl, right? And you've just never seen that on TV. Yeah. You've never seen it on TV. And it's just such a fun show. It's so funny. It is very grown, very adult, you know. And we're talking about real things that the girls go through. So for my character to just be a supporting person in their lives and their growth in college it's been amazing and so you know season two is coming and uh yay, yay. bigger and better yeah I was reading when trying to cast for the role and then they came across you they were like oh no we're done we don't need to look at anybody else for this role because you are Jocelyn it was yeah. like that expression like yeah yeah like it's like you happen to be in a wheelchair you happen yeah. to but you are totally totally you know out there you are totally very very much a person that just lives her life you know with fearlessness and fierceness so exactly exactly (laughs) and so season two is going to be bigger better and bolder that's for sure amazing I'll get ready for season two I am so excited but I know that there is much more inclusivity nowadays in entertainment but how are you feeling about the current state and are you thinking like there's still more that can be done or oh definitely there's definitely so much more that can be done I do feel like there is a shift happening which I'm grateful for but of course yeah so much more can be done you know there's so many more lively characters that can be created there's so much creativity to still be done around actors with disabilities and and playing just roles that don't necessarily have to be called out for disability but if there is a role specifically that encompasses a person with a disability then don't shy away from their existence their humanity and their personality you do not have to create a character that one is surrounded, the crux of their story is about their disability, or two, make the character so far to the left that it's not about their disability. Mm-hmm. 
that is unrealistic as well, if that makes sense, right? Because I've come across some projects, you know, it's part of the process of being an actor, right? Where, you know, there's always that dialogue or that monologue of like, I'm not my disability and I do what I want and da, 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 da. You don't have, you don't even have to say that. Yeah, find you hard. We don't have to do any of that. Like, you don't have to prove that this character is not solely just identifying with their disability. Like, this character is just a character. Like, Mm -hmm. that's all we have to do. It's just make it about the person, the character, and their humanity. Yeah, I think the first time I had come across that was Glee, actually, with Ryan Murphy. And it was just like, yeah, there's the boy in the wheelchair. There's the girl with Downs. But it was never an apology. It was just like they're characters and they play a role just like everybody else does. And that's life. It doesn't need to be mentioned or called out or singled out or any of that, which I think is really a very classy way of, of doing it and one that you know, does showcase anybody who may be neurodivergent or have a physical differentiation, it brings back the humanity. Just that this might be what I am just like my eye color, just like my skin tone, just like any other difference. It's just, I am me and this is how I operate. Exactly. It's just that simple. It does not need to be this whole inspiration moment. You know, like I've always said, even about my own content, like I never created content with the intention to inspire. Mm. If it happens to inspire you, wonderful. I love that. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, you're just sharing. I'm literally just sharing my experiences. I literally don't brainstorm be like, how am I going to inspire the world today? I don't give a fuck if I inspire anybody. Honestly, I'm just trying to share to show that it's possible. I loved your most recent reel where you were like, okay, no, you don't have to pray for me. Nope, 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 not me. Somebody else. You don't. You don't. don't. (laughs) Yeah, like that's one of those things that people get mixed up too was like, you assume that the toughest thing in our life is our disability. And it's like, no, it might simply be because I'm like, I can't figure out what I want to eat today. And this is really pissing me off. (laughs) (laughs) What about for the people who are still living in that mindset though? I mean, obviously you come across them all the time, I'm sure. Yeah. Like what can they do to get out of that what I would call it. I hate to say this because I know that with compassion, I just want to use the word pity party, but I say it with love. It's just like, you know, you don't have to feel sorry for yourself and nobody else has to feel sorry for you either. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. But if there are things that we need to do in order to be aware and make life more convenient so that we are an accessible environment, then yeah, that's different. That's different than feeling pity, right? Exactly. And I think you exactly touched on that, right? Is like, You know, you have to, if you are the particular person with a disability and you seem to have a challenge breaking out of feeling sorry for yourself or feel down for yourself, I've had real conversations with some people. I always tell people first, I get it. I can understand it. I can empathize with it. But also just know that it's a process to also get to where I'm at as well, right? Mm -hmm. Don't expect yourself to go from feeling like you were saying kind of like in that pity party world and then tomorrow you're just all of a sudden going to be like the most proud of who you are as a person with a disability doesn't happen that way it's an everyday process there's things that still trigger me that piss me off that I'm like see if I wasn't in a wheelchair this would never like you know so we have to be mindful of these things but understand one that it's a process but two 
the way I look at it is, does it make you feel good to be in that pity party? Mm. Are you happy being there? Yeah. Does it make you joyful? Yeah. Do people like being around you when you're there? Do you have fun in that space? If all of those answers are no, do whatever you think is going to give you the opposite feeling. So good. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. Disability or not, any human being, those are your criteria. Exactly. Those are your criteria. Does it make you happy? Do you like yourself for being that way? Do people like being around you? Does it fill you with joy? If not, change yourself. Change the game. Change yeah. it. And that change can be as simple as today I'm going to do something that I want to do. Yeah. That change could be, you know, when people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm a wheelchair user. I don't know how to get around. Google it. Find the answer. Do whatever you think you can mm -hmm. do. You know, ask people that love you if you have a support system, you know? If there's a family member that's talking to you a certain way and you don't like it, it's okay to say, hey, auntie, uncle, brother, sister, cousin, mama, daddy, because it's it's a lot, mamas and daddies too. Yeah. Mama, daddy, you know what? I'd really appreciate if y'all don't talk to me like that. Yeah. There's and a certain level of asking for help because you truly need it. And then there's a certain amount of enabling. There's a certain amount of codependency that you might be triggering in your family dynamic or with your friends that causes you to not do enough for yourself when you really can. If you exactly. just if you just put the effort into that self-reliance to the point where you feel that you are capable. Yeah. Otherwise, ask for help where you need it. Figure it out when you can. Exactly that. And know that it's not going to be easy. Yeah. But you're going to have to fight through the frustration of finding those solutions, but the solutions are out there. There's something out there. It may be minimal, mm -hmm. but it is out there, you know, and I just encourage, and even if for whatever reason, at the end of the day, if there isn't like a, a specific, I'm just using transportation as an example, right. maybe there isn't a transportation service that can help you, right? Maybe there isn't someone that can support you in that way or whatever the case is, then find those other ways that make you feel joyful to where maybe it'll drum up your creativity to find a different type of solution. Mm -hmm. And even if that solution is like, can we move? Mm -hmm. Can we, you know, don't limit yourself to think like, oh, this is the only way that it's done. And yeah. since I can't do it, it's the only way. And it's just like, no. Whole other world out there if you let it, if you explore it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly that. Exactly that. And sometimes it's just a mood shift. Mm -hmm. Watch a funny movie. Eat something you like. Yeah. You know, those kind of simple things. I'm huge on affirmations. I'm huge on vision boards. All of that kind of stuff. I mean, I know that I could go on a tangent on that all day long. But <laughs> That'll be another episode for sure. That's another episode. Yes. <laughs> what do you have coming up? You've said that you've got a book that you've got in the works and you've got some more acting, I believe. Tell us what you got planned. Yeah. So I just finished the manuscript for my book. So it's still going to be a little while until it comes out. But I just finished writing my first book. Sex Live season two is happening. It was just announced yesterday. I have a voice acting supporting role in a new Disney Junior animation called Fire Buds. Um, 
premiering on September 21st. So look out for that. I voiced the character of Jazzy and she's the most adorable. Oh my gosh. I've seen the animation of her and I just, I screamed. I, <laughs> oh my <laughs> I literally can't even deal. So that's happening September 21st. What else? I'm launching a lifestyle brand called Live Solo. It's a lifestyle brand dedicated to young adults with disabilities because very similar to this entire conversation, people have always asked me like, what are your solutions? How did you do this? How did you do that? So this is going to be my opportunity to share all of those different ways that I've found hacks, you know, just in my own life, but also being able to bring in other people with disabilities into the brand to write blog posts about their hacks and their solutions that they found based on their particular disability. So that'll be launching within the next few weeks. And yeah, we're just going to keep growing, keep moving, keep. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Lola Spencer, you are a treasure to behold. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being a role model, whether you want it to be or not. That part. I'm calling you a role model and we got to do this again soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. I had a great time. Thank you.